and welcome to The Renewable Generation, a show on climate and energy issues by young people, for all people. My name is Evan, and like most of America right now, I'm going through a bit of a existential crisis. But among those crises that I'm, I've been having recently, it's been the little things that have been helping out my mental health and pulling me out of those <laughs> dark recesses of quarantine life. Stephen and Kelly, what are the little things that are helping you get through your days? Well, um, for me, I, I would say the little things have been um, friendship, really. Um, I, I've, I just got back this weekend from a little camping trip um, up in the eastern shore of Maryland, and it, it's been so superficial, um, sorry, so um, beneficial to forget about all the superficial problems, or not even superficial problems, like we're, we're going through some real legitimate deep um, core problems in, in the world right now. And it's been so useful for me to like be able to disconnect entirely, really like just send myself away and unplug from everything um, and really stop looking at social media. So like, yeah, I think that'd be one of the like friendship, nature and getting off of social media has been doing wonders for me. Yeah, well, if we're talking about existential crises, I would say I'm the queen of existential crises. <laughs> we do not need to go into any detail here, um, but... Um, as we said last week, I had this kind of spiritual experience in the mountains and I was like, oh, I have so many new insights, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just really hard to think about like in this world, how do you actually do the right thing when there's so much terrible stuff going on in the world? How do you actually do the right thing? And I think that problem just like finally just got to me and I was like, I don't know. It's been a rough week. Let's leave it at that. It's been a very, very rough week, but I'm glad to be on this podcast with my co-hosts and to um, be coming together to try to at least talk about um, some things. But I will say one thing that I really appreciate um, today was when I was um, driving with my dad, we were going to the doctor, um, I saw Mount Rainier or Tahoma, the, basically the tallest mountain in Washington, just beautifully like she was there in all her glory. And I was like, oh my God, she is freaking majestic. I can't believe I was up there a year ago today. Not today, but about a year ago, I was standing on top. And actually, the view from the top of Mount Rainier is not great because you don't have a view of Mount Rainier when you're on top of Mount Rainier and everything is below you. But I think just looking at Mount Rainier, you're just like, wow, that's been there for millions of years. It's going to be there for our entire lifetimes and after we're gone. And so that's too existential. Let's get on with the podcast. Yeah, and I, I, I think last week's episode was a product of all of our individual crises. And um, but I would like to say that uh, I um, I'd say this podcast is one of my little things that's helping me get through. And I think uh, last week's episode in particular was a was a cathartic experience for all of us. And we really appreciate the uh, um, the feedback we've received from that episode. And although we're not going to have as loose of a discussion going forward for each episode that we do, we'd like to incorporate that kind of discussion feel into the remainder of our episodes and also maybe even have some esoteric like <laughs> discussions on philosophy or what our nation means to us and topics like that that might loosely re relate to climate issues more than strictly relate to climate issues. But today... We're going to be talking about a strict relation to climate issues, and that is the Biden-Bernie Climate Coalition. 
Stephen, would you like to give us a little bit of information on that? Sure. So we all know that Biden is now running for president. He's the, the, the presumptive Democratic nominee. Um, and there's a lot of Bernie um, Bernie stands out there who have really, you know, have been a Bernie um, a Bernie supporter for since like way back in like 2016 or before then even. So um, they they the progressive left wing um, Democrats and then like the more centrist moderate um, Democrats are trying to actually create some unity right now and unite the entire left um, left voting base to really just make sure that 100 percent we are defeating Donald Trump at the end of the day. That is the most important priority right now to so get Trump out of office. So with that being said, um, they've formed this unity task force of, of Bernie and Biden supporters. And, and here in D.C., the rumor is that this has been being organized by Barack Obama, uh, who is still, you know, he's still playing his part in the Democratic uh, political machine. Um, so part of this um, unity task force is also um, kind of rolls on the momentum of what I talked about um, last week as my Green News spiel, which is the idea of... Um, you know, the House, the House Select Committee on Energy Independence and uh, Climate Change, they had set forth the most detailed uh, climate plan and climate policy proposal in the, in the history of the United States. It was incredibly thorough. It talked about step by step by step by step and had, had in fact, 12 pillars of um, policy um, focus points. And this is kind of on, coming, coming right off the heels of that. The um, Biden himself, Biden and Bernie themselves have pretty much put forth their own more broad plan for just like for the, for the nomination uh, game that we're in right now. So part of that, um, part of that plan includes uh, the goals include hundred percent clean, clean new buildings by 2030, 100% clean energy by 2035, um, a climate core that employs young people to fight the climate crisis, uh, a commitment to protect indigenous communities from oil pipeline risks, and net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 or sooner. Um, so, you know, that one of, all these points are really interesting. There's a lot to go into each one of them. So why don't we um, start off by just kind of going on each point um, one by one. So um, beginning with the first one, Kelly, do you want to start us off with the clean new buildings? Um, buildings are the source of a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. One of the big concerns with decarbonizing buildings is that a lot of them use natural gas for heating. So there's a big push in a lot of cities to get um, to start banning the construction of new natural gas pipelines for residential and commercial buildings. So that would go a long way because even cooking with natural gas releases indoor air pollution. Um, induction cooktops are also um, quite good. And um, in fact, a lot of chefs say that the cooking experience is better. However, there's been some uh, Instagram influencer campaigns paid for by natural gas companies about quote-unquote cooking with gas, where these Instagram influencers take beautiful pictures of them cooking on their gas stoves to try to show why we need to have gas in our homes. I think the Electrification Association should be paying Instagram influencers to do like hashtag cooking with induction. I don't know, maybe that's a crazy idea, but we, we got to pull out all the stops here, man. So, Stephen, you want to talk about um, 100% renewable energy? Yeah. So, you know, so while we're talking about buildings, there's also, you know, there's natural gas in terms of heating, how you're going to heat those, those buildings. There's also like the cooling of buildings, which is, then uses electricity. This is kind of like there, there is some overlap here because buildings use electricity, obviously. Um, so also within the electricity sector at large, electricity does so many things throughout our society and our nation and our freaking world, right? So um, clean energy... Uh, 100% clean energy by 2035. Um, as I mentioned on one of the previous episodes, um, economically speaking, in terms of business terms, just numbers, cold hard like facts, 
we can create a 100% clean energy, um, sorry, 100% clean grid before 2035. Um, we can do that. Um, the, 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 the rules have already been set. So right now it's just about, are we willing to implement it? Are we willing to actually like pull the trigger and do those things? Because just because it's theoretically possible doesn't mean that we've already accomplished it, right? So what, what I'm trying to say here is that this one, this, this set here is already, this victory has already been achieved um, in terms of technicalities. Now we just need to go ahead and implement to get to that point. Um, next point is the climate core that, employ, that employs young people to fight the climate crisis. Kelly? Yeah, so I'm not sure about the details about um, the specific plan um, for the Climate Corps, but this is very similar to the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, and the Works Progress Administration, the WPA, um, that Roosevelt started um, during the Great Depression to kind of get people back to work and give them something to do. Because honestly, not having a job sucks. I mean, I have a job, but I think a lot of people who don't just feel this crushing sense of like that they're not really doing anything and they have no purpose. So creating jobs through building America's infrastructure is probably one of the more meaningful things that you can do. And plus, if we're going to be um, spending all this money on unemployment benefits anyway, why don't we just spend it, pay people the same amount of money, but get them to actually build something? Like, you know, our high-speed rail in this country is embarrassing. We have a high-speed rail from Fresno to Bakersfield. Is it Bakersfield or Merced? Something like that, just like somewhere in the California Central Valley. In the time that we've done that, China has built high-speed rail between like 30 major cities, and it's so fast, so convenient. I went to China and experienced it. It was awesome. And I just think America, like we need to take advantage of this crisis to be like, look, we're going to put people to work and we're going to build America's future. And there's so many things related to climate that you could put people to work doing. Building hydrogen pipelines. That's a very well-paying job. People who used to work in natural gas pipelines. Extremely easy for them to get slotted directly into that kind of job. So, I mean, I think that it's an idea that would have a lot of appeal. Um, I'm not really sure why it's kind of stagnating. Maybe people in Congress just all can't get along because they all hate each other. But I still, maybe I'm naive, but I hope that we can all realize that we can do what's right put America back to work, give people jobs, build America's future. In the words of Winston Churchill, never waste a good crisis. Point four of this climate plan is a commitment to protect indigenous communities from oil pipeline risks. And this is something we're going to talk a little bit more about in the second half of the show. But of course, it's, it's important to keep in mind that in the, United, in the United States, any large infrastructure plans will always affect um, indigenous communities and in general tends to be rural communities, but indigenous communities in particular is important to keep their rights um, top of mind. Um, and lastly, um, point five is net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 or sooner. At the end of the day, this is the ultimate goal in terms of climate change. And, and again, and climate change is about survival. So this is the goal we need to meet to survive as a human species. Keep that in mind. Keep Make sure that that is always at the top of your mind when you're thinking about climate change. It's on a time scale to get to net zero, zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 or sooner. Otherwise, we're going to see just unimaginable catastrophe that we can go into in, in a different episode. We can really delve into all the scientific details if we want, but let's save that for another episode. So I have a question for you guys. Um, whenever we see these plans, there's always these uh, dates. There's you, We see 2030, 2035 and 2050. And with the UK and uh, France's climate plans, we see 2050 being this date for being carbon neutral. 
Um, so I, I wanted to ask, what is the basis behind these dates? Like, is there some sort of scientific basis behind why we should be carbon neutral by 2050? Um, yeah, so the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they released some scenarios saying what is the amount of carbon dioxide that we can emit to stay within two degrees Celsius. And I think there's like various pathways and like various scientific modeling. And I think people have essentially come to the agreement that, okay, net zero by 2050, it's like kind of a good North Star target. Um, in the UK in particular, I think it's very good that their whole government is actually aligned on this whole climate change issue. I mean, they're run by the conservatives right now, so what they're talking about is green growth rather than um, what you would... I think the Green Party is talking more about, like, degrowth, shrinking the economy, which people are not so much into. Um, but I think at least their country, like, every sector of society is taking it seriously and they're really trying to do the right thing on climate change. Meanwhile, in the U.S., we're still just lost... So yeah, and to and to, to add on to that, it's like the IPCC report, um, which was it's a body established by the UN. Um, essentially, all this all these timelines are meant to keep us within two degrees Celsius. Um, you hear that term a lot as well. Um, two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial age times. So what that essentially means is like before the industrial revolution, in which we had all these like railroads and steam and like coal, you know, burning and stuff. Before that, there was some base level temperature. We want to make sure that we are staying below two degrees above that baseline. So we've talked a lot of game about the Democrats' climate plans, but what about the Republicans' climate plans? Do they exist? Sure. Um, yeah. So we 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 are always you know trying to keep this bipartisan and ideally nonpartisan, but mostly as, as bipartisan as possible. Um, and that being said, I think it's also important to, um, in in the interest of, of being a radical centrist, as our as we talked about in the last week. We want to always acknowledge the other side of the argument as well, right? But I think it's also important to not give so much credit to the other side to the point that you are um, artificially you know, giving them fluff. Um, and I think it's important to stick as close as we can to the actual truth, the objective truth here, as best as we can determine, right? Because we are not perfect arbiters of truth ourselves. So um, in a previous episode, we had talked about this young um, conservative and Republican group of, of, of young leaders called the American Climate Coalition. Uh, led by um, Conservation Coalition. Thank, thank you, American Conservation Coalition or ACC, and they're led by Benji Backer, who is a you know 22, 23 year old um, young guy from Wisconsin, um, currently living in Seattle. Maybe he might. He just graduated college. Right? Don't know where he's at now. No, he's in Seattle. I want to hang out with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kelly and Kelly and Benji uh, episode uh, coming in the near future. Hopefully. Yeah. So they their group. Um, they're very, they're like principled in, 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 and they're very principled at the end of the day, they, they want to solve climate change from a very limited government standpoint and focus on markets and innovation, which, um, you know, sounds great. I, I personally tend to fall in that camp myself. Um, so they, they, um, they really, uh, are supportive of technology such as nuclear energy, um, carbon capture and storage, um, and in general energy innovation. So like throwing money at R and D, um, and uh, more natural solutions such as planting a trillion trees. Yeah, and I will say that the American uh, Conservation Coalition plan is quite good. The difference between that and the Democrat plan is not that much. I think the main point of disagreement is that the ACC plan um, says we should build up more natural gas pipelines, which I personally disagree with. But I think both the Democrat plan is also talking about carbon capture and storage because 
we got to do it. There's already so much carbon out there. Like there's no way we can get to where we need to without some carbon sequestration. And there's various natural solutions as well, like restoring soil carbon, I think is a huge thing that doesn't get nearly enough play because a lot of farmers who, by the way, are Trump supporters, they are absolutely in favor of increasing their soil carbon because it makes their soils healthier. Um, the grass grows better or the plants grow better. Um, for instance, if you're a cow farmer who uh, has who like grows grass and then you um, increase your soil carbon, the grass is better for your cows to eat. Your cows get fatter. You sell them for more money. You get win, win, win. And you can also get money from the state's cap and trade program. So I think there are all these like win, win, win programs that could relate to um, that we don't know enough about that I think should get um, bigger play. And I agree with you guys. I think the American Conservation Coalition's plan is a great plan. Um, but what we've seen um, in terms of Republicans in the Senate is a lot of pushback. Um, or uh, they, they acknowledged it and then they were like, oh, we don't really support that. We were just supporting the idea of supporting it. So what do you think it would take Republicans to actually listen to great plans like this? Yeah, I think that's a great point. So like they, ACC, I think is at the end of the day, at least right now, a messaging platform. What they're doing is trying to rally and gather political will to do things. Um, and yeah, so they're, as Kelly said, they're not much different from what Democrats are already suggesting. They're just the Republicans. They're suggesting, they're just parroting the same points. Um, so I really, I... I tend, I tend to think at this moment, I tend to think we just honestly stick with the Democrats on their plans. Like they're, the Democratic plans are not like extremely partisan. They're very commonsensical. They're just like, this is the problem of climate change. This is how we solve climate change. And one of the main criticisms of the Green New Deal was the fact that it said, okay, yeah, this is the climate change is a huge problem, but we're also going to tack on like socialism and, and the solution is socialism. So we're going to throw on like, um, you know, federal jobs guarantee, a federal jobs guarantee. That is very, I'm sorry, that's extremely socialist, okay? And there's also this whole thing about universal health care, which is like, okay, that might that may or may not be something that you would need that we need to focus on, but that is independent of climate change. Like that so that's that was one of the criticisms of the Green New Deal. So I think Democrats have actually responded well to those criticisms and the plans they've put forth have been so climate focused. They're not they're not a socialist agenda anymore. So like at this point I would say just stick with the Democrats because they have an extremely legitimate plan that they're making more and more legitimate. They're making more thorough. And Republicans are trying to play keep up right now. They're, they're, they're saying, okay, wait, come to us. We'll compromise with you now. Come, come, come compromise with us. But like Democrats honestly should just not listen to them because just keep, keep running ahead forward and Republicans will, will catch up eventually. Well, we'll see who gets elected in November. If a Republican gets elected, you will be eating your words. <laughs> um, but I will also say... How is the federal jobs guarantee like super socialist? That's like way less socialist than what we have now, which is universal unemployment insurance, right? (laughs) Like if you at least, okay, unemployment insurance is gone, but if you want that, then you got to do some work. I think that's actually okay. That's a good thing. Like getting people, right? Jobs guarantee, or maybe not a jobs guarantee, but having jobs program and figuring out like what people can do to actually help the climate movement. So I'll give an example. What we talked about last time, planting trees. Matt Getz, far-right dude who proposed the quote-unquote Green Real Deal. He's like, we got to plant a trillion trees. You know what? Yeah, we should. And if people are bored at home, sitting on their butts, watching Netflix all day and want something to do, they can go plant trees with this plan. And I think it would be, it would be great 
you know, they're actually doing something. They have money. Even if they don't, even if they're getting paid not that much, I think you could have some means by which they are provided with like food for at their job site. And you could f- make it so that people have to stay at the job site, which may be like the 10 people who are on their quote unquote quarantine. So there's no risk of like COVID transmission. And you could also plant a lot of trees. And I think um, a lot of people um, generally don't respect people of different ideologies. So we would, um, I think the government could try to like put teams together that are very diverse in terms of what state they're from, race, political affiliation, background, income, all of those things. Just try to get a very diverse mix so people just, you have to, look, you're stuck in a cabin with these 10 people for a year and you have to learn to respect them and get along because otherwise, like, you're going to be miserable and I think that'll be a way for people to actually kind of understand better what the other side thinks. So, I don't know. I feel like in America, we're just all acting like we all hate each other and we need some... I know we need a little push to stop hating each other and get along with people on the other side. That's just my take. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive to think that Republicans and Democrats can still get along in 2020. I, I like the optimistic take. Uh, <laughs> I think we need more of that. Kanye 2020. Hey. Kanye West 2020. <laughs> yeah, and that is... <laughs> Ka- Kanye, Ka- Kanye, if you're out there, if you propose this plan, <laughs> I will vote for you. I'm dead serious. That's a vote for Kanye. <laughs> Did you know, Kanye is forming a climate coalition of his own, KSG, which stands for Kanye Sees Greenhouse Gases. They will be releasing their first studio album, Watch the Rising Global Temperatures, this November. And that was Evan's Climate Fact of the Day! I actually love these. Like, Evan, these are getting good, you know? You're throwing, you're <laughs> They're getting good. Like, they were, they were like... always good, Stephen. <laughs> these are, these are getting good you. and have always been good. Excuse me. Uh, there we go. There we go. Dude, they should, they should all be about Kanye from now on. They should all be about Kanye. <laughs> yeah, I know. We have two, two Kanye climate facts of the day in a row. I, uh, Kanye, I think uh, you have Kelly Jang's vote for... Uh... <laughs> hey, only if he adopts my reality TV tree planting plan. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Kanye, we will vote for you if you listen to Kelly's uh, reality TV show idea. Um, anyway, uh, Stephen, you were alluding earlier in the episode that we were going to be talking more about pipelines. Would you care to elaborate about that now? I would care to elaborate on that right now. So... Um, like I was talking about in the plan earlier of this episode, um, point four was a commitment to protect indigenous communities from oil pipeline risks. Um, so that's that's a huge topic that we do need to be um, keeping top of mind. This is this is in line with our environmental justice discussions. The question, you know, the the, the idea always is um, we have benefits, we have environmental benefits, um, they have energy benefits, we have you know economic benefits. But who benefits and who suffers because of that? Who bears the cost of those benefits? And a lot of times tends to be people of color or indigenous communities. So um, you may have heard over the last um, 10 years or so um, about several different pipelines that have been been proposed to go across the country. Um, Some of the most um, controversial ones were things like the Dakota Access Pipeline, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, and uh, the Keystone XL Pipeline. Well, um, good news this last week, all three of those pipelines have, have, have had huge setbacks in the last week. 
just tremendous setbacks, which is another victory for activism, which is another point to make that activism works. So everyone who's out there trying and fighting and has passion and are out there like really fighting the good fight, keep that shit up because it works. Like this is another example of that actually having an effect that's tangible and that will have a positive benefit for our society for decades and decades to come. So um, these three pipelines, the Dakota Access, um, Atlantic Coast, and the Keystone, um, faced um, essentially a combination of legal de defeats um, and, and business decision um, defeats. So legally, it meant that they had done no environmental due diligence and business decisions, they became too expensive. And this is all, keep in mind, this is all in the face of Trump, who has been using executive actions to, to essentially expedite these pipelines. He's saying, get rid of all the red tape, get rid of all the regulations, just build these damn pipelines. Doesn't matter what it takes, doesn't matter who it um, you know, displaces, just get it done. Um, and this has been over the last three and a half years that Trump has been doing this, but um, this is essentially a victory in the sense of, of our democracy and our government, because we have checks and balances in this government. Just because the president says something doesn't mean that it will become the truth, um, because we have we have institutions set up at the state level, the local level, um, and like bodies that have, are meant to make sure that they're, that things are being paid their due diligence. So you mentioned the Dakota Access Pipeline as one of the pipelines that's been experiencing setbacks. And I remember a lot of the um, social media activism around the Dakota Access Pipeline took place like, what, three or four years ago? I think it was 2016 that was happening. And just now they're experiencing setbacks, which makes me interested in what role do you think activism has played in those setbacks? And do you think there's a difference between the social media activism of 2016 and any uh, current bouts of activism that we're seeing today? Yeah, well, I think activism does a couple of things. Um, to be, I think first and foremost, what activism does is put the spotlight on things. When you, when you mobilize enough people, you have enough of a turnout and you create some kind of news story, all of a sudden the nation's ears and eyes are tuned to this to this topic. So, um, you know, Dakota Access Pipeline, DAP, and like all the hashtag, you know, stop DAPs and stuff, I just put it on the, the center stage of, of the nation. Um, really the way it, the, the way this kind, these kinds of things get overturned and, and defeated is in the courts. It's, it's in the courts and it's in the Excel financial tables that are internal to their to the, the businesses. So like really like the, the battle was won by environmental lawyers who have argued that these, these pipelines haven't done their due diligence. So there are several permits that they needed to get from the Army Corps of Engineers, which I myself as a solar developer, I have to do the same thing. I, I have to, if I'm going to build a, a solar project in the middle of some rural part of Minnesota, I need to get um, the Army Corps of Engineers to take a look and make sure that I'm you know, being legit, I'm not destroying any like pr protected water sources or like endangering any species by doing this, which is, you know, it's somewhat of a headache because you have to like tick this box. But like at the end of the day, it's important to make sure that we're being responsible with our construction projects. So these pipelines didn't do their due diligence and Trump was trying to just get rid of all the red tape and say like, ah, let them build anyways, it doesn't matter. But the thing is those institutions do have um, power and they they, are, they have the power to, to stop Trump's um, motions there and say like, no, we actually have to go through our, our processes and our laws. So, so yeah, so I think, you know, to, to answer your question, um, the social media activism is good. Um, social media activism is good in the sense that it shines a light on things, but we have to make sure that we're not just being social media um, activists and, and that's it. There's a lot of like performative activism where you just post this thing or retweet this thing and you can sit back and go, ah, 
I did my part. But, you know, that's not the, the real battles out there. And like, so if that's doing that social media retweet is a good step, but like, make sure you're backing that up with real action in your life too. Yeah. What I would also say is that I think a big part of the reason why a lot of these pipelines have been getting canceled is that these companies are just annoyed with all the activists just like trying to delay them. They're like, oh my God, it's such a pain. Like any project, instead of taking one year, it takes like 10 years. In that time, we could have just done something totally different and not had to deal with all this headache. And so I think that's also changing the business calculation in the boardrooms. And I think that's pretty powerful. Totally. Totally. I mean, like oil, oil right now is transitioning to what like cigarettes and the tobacco industry was like a decade or two ago. Because they... The, the, the whole tobacco industry was shamed like crazy because of all the science that came out. And they, they similarly tried to block the science and hide the truth for, to protect their profits. And so what the oil companies are doing too. Um, so, so focusing specifically on the Dakota Access Pipeline, um, this was a victory for several Native American tribes, in particular the Standing Rock Sioux and the Cheyenne River Sioux. Um, and um, the tribe's chairman, Mike Faith, he said um, in a statement, that quote, today is a historic day for the Standing Rock uh, Sioux Tribe. And please, someone correct me if I'm saying that, if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, so the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and the many people who have supported us in the fight against this pipeline. This pipeline should have never been built here. We told them that from the beginning, end quote. And um, a lawyer from Earth Justice who has led the legal battle on behalf of the Standing Rock Sioux um, Tribe said in an interview, Quote, I can't think of another example where a major piece of infrastructure was shut down after being in operation for a couple of years, end quote. So which which goes to show that this that this um, pipeline, the DAP, has already been in operation. It's already been sending oil down the pipes, which is crazy to think about. And even after it's been commissioned, it's already active. They actually pull like they like pull the brakes on it and they're actually like reassessing. So like don't give up the fight. Even when you feel like you've already lost the fight, when it's already been defeated. You can still win. Like, this, like we have to keep stay committed to these to these battles. And this is just proof that we can actually win if we just don't give up. Yeah, and I think a lot of oil companies that are trying to transition towards renewables now have the opportunity to show leadership um, by just deciding, like, this oil that we have, we're just not going to use it and go all in on renewable energy. I think they should acknowledge that they've built their company based on fossil fuels, but that time has passed. For the workers that um, are still in fossil fuels, they should potentially offer them like a very generous severance, potentially like subsidies for them to do job retraining into something related to renewables and be like, look, the world is moving on. We want to support you in whatever way we can to um, find a job in the new economy. But look, it's not good for the world to continue using coal or oil or natural gas. So we just got to move on and we'll help tra- the workers transition. Yeah, that's right. So... Yeah, see, um, the, so the company that has a majority stake in the Dakota Access Pipeline, um, their name is uh, Energy Transfer Partners. And um, so last month, the CEO of Energy Transfer Partners, um, they held a Trump fundraiser in their home. Um, and former Energy Secretary uh, Rick Perry um, rejoined the board just months after stepping down from the cabinet. Um, so this is just to paint you a picture of who the Energy Transfer Partners is. And the last satisfying note I'd leave you with there is that Energy Transfer Partners has since lost 12% of their stock value. So take that. Well, I think it's time for the segment that comes with a federal jobs guarantee. It's the Green New Spiel. Stephen, why don't you start us out? Okay. So I saw this article on Reddit that I thought was really interesting. I immediately piqued my curiosity. So um, Finland um, 
has just recently essentially ended homelessness and provided shelter for all those in need, um, which is a crazy headline, right? So it does, we can walk it, we can water it down a little bit with the details here. So um, it started, this whole effort really started in the 1980s. Um, and at the time, um, they, they, they've been pushing on it for like 40, 40 years or so. Um, and, and then just now in 2008, um, they, they uh, just recently in 2008, they passed the, the housing first principle. Um, they, the, the whole rationale for passing this was that um, there were too few emergency shelters and, and too many affected people who did not manage to get out of homelessness. They couldn't find jobs without a housing address. Um, they couldn't, without a job, they couldn't find a flat. They couldn't pay the bills. They couldn't get groceries. It was a vicious cycle. Um, so furthermore, they had problems with applying for social benefits without an address as well. So all in all, homeless people found themselves trapped. So their, their strategy for like improving the, the lives of those individuals is to um, essentially kind of let the private market take over a little bit. So what, what NGOs um, and, and um, governmental bodies started to do under this housing first principle is that they would purchase private properties themselves and renovate existing flats and use emergency shelters that are already existing to create simple apartments, one or two bedrooms, um, very simple running water, cooking facilities, and then they create a tenancy a, a tenancy agreement um, with those homeless people, and they and the homeless individuals would, would join this tenancy agreement. They would have to pay rent and they have to pay for operating costs. Um, social workers would step in and help um, those individuals with financial management and apply for social benefits. Um, the, so, like the, the shocking statistics here is that four out of five people that engage with the program um, long, decided to stay in these flats long term. Um, and then here's the kicker out of everything else that surprised me, this is cheaper than leaving them on the, on the streets. So not only are we helping these individuals with homelessness and improve their quality of life, but it's also cheaper on society at large, um, which is incredible. It's like, it's a win, win, in my win, win, win in my book. So, uh, when it tends, the argument comes, kind of comes down to this, like when people are in emergency situations, emergencies occur more, more often. So you have more assaults, you have more theft, injuries and crime in general, because people need to make ends meet. Um, this involves the police system, this involves hospitals, and involves the justice system, all of which cost taxpayer, taxpayer dollars. Um, so at the end of the day, this, this program of Housing First, um, we're, they're spending 15,000 euros less per year on each resident. Um, and, and overall, I think this is, this is what I'd love to see, and I think we need more policies like this, and we should really be um, looking at them as an example about how we can solve homelessness in America. Um, this is compassionate, policy. This is fiscally responsible policy. And this is a way we're providing more, a vast majority of people, the opportunity just to have their baseline um, requirements met so that they can, we can give them the opportunity for them to strive towards a better life on their own. All right. Well, thank you, Stephen, for a bit of optimistic news. And now we'll hear from Kelly and her Green News spiel. Yeah. So I actually have two. Um, one of them is that there's this company that can apparently can use like plasma pyrolysis to convert natural gas into hydrogen gas and like black carbon. So the black carbon, I'm not sure what you can do with it. You can use it for manufacturing tires, potentially even carbon fiber. I'm not totally sure how carbon fiber is manufactured, but that's really cool. That's a good way to make use of natural gas that already exists. Or And that carbon is just sequestered because it's like in a tire. So um, I thought the startup idea was really cool and it's kind of like, kind of mixing um, like the fossil fuel interests with 
you know, something that actually everyone can benefit from. It's a win-win situation. Not sure how much it costs, but I think that's a promising technology. Another really interesting thing that I saw, so my dad was, um, last night watched this documentary on Netflix. I think it was about Zac Efron um, going to Iceland to learn about their renewable energy. So I think there's several episodes about that. And so my dad watched the first episode about Iceland. I was like, I want to go to Iceland. Only problem is if you go there now, you have to quarantine for 14 days. And then also the only thing that you can eat there is like rotten fish. So <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait until COVID is over because I would absolutely love to go to Iceland and check out all the renewable energy stuff. So I think um, you should watch that. I remember I liked Zac Efron as a little girl watching High School Musical. I was like, Troy's a nice guy. And now Troy's trying to learn about renewable energy and climate change. So that's great. <laughs> Thank you, Troy Bolton. <laughs> Didn't he also go to Berkeley, technically? Zach Efron or Troy Bolton? Troy Bolton. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> go Bears! Woohoo! Go Bears! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you, Stephen and Kelly, for your green news spiels. And with that, we wrap up the segment and we wrap up the show. Thanks, as always, for listening to The Renewable Generation. We're on our social media kick recently, so feel free to follow or like us on our Facebook page, The Renewable Generation. You can also follow us on Twitter, at GenRenewPod. And you can also follow just our individual Instagram accounts. Uh, I think Kelly's is Kelly M. Jang. Stevens is sustainably Steve, and I'm Honeycombs Jr. until I become an adult and pick a real uh, Instagram handle. And we'll be posting about the podcast. We'll be asking you guys if you have any questions or information you guys want us to get into on the podcast. So make sure you get in those questions and we'll answer them on the show. Stephen? Yeah, and just want to say a thank you to everyone who's listening and especially people who have reached out to us. Um, we get couple messages here and there every week and they're really fun to like see people get engaged and like ask questions like some people have told me like they disagree with something I said and I love to hear that I love to hear people disagree with what I said and like let's have a discussion about it like let's drop our like egos at the door and like talk about things without pride involved let's just talk about ideas like let's you know like reach out ask us questions what are you interested in hearing about what are you curious about that you are just too lazy to look up you know we're pretty lazy too but this is kind of our job now so like send it to us and we're happy to, to delve into things for you. Um, so yeah, um, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.